Um, everyone, welcome to episode 45 of Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. We have a very special guest, Aaron Prather, uh, on. And uh, Aaron, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to point out that if you're watching this live, they will probably see like little robot looking things buzzing around behind your head as they are right now. And don't be alarmed. You're not having some sort of stroke. There are actual robots buzzing around. And that is one of the like 20,000 amazing things Aaron gets to do uh, with FedEx. And so Aaron, uh, I guess, I guess first, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, been a long day here uh, in the, in the lab, but I'm, I'm ready to talk shop and uh, get some questions from the audience and let's get this, this let's get this thing rolling. No, absolutely. Really Fantastic. appreciate your time, Aaron. Um, maybe to kick us off, if you want to give us some more of your background for those who are not connected with you currently on LinkedIn and are wondering what it is that you do that involves robots driving around on the back. Uh, thanks, Vlad, for that. Uh, yeah, Aaron Fraser, I'm the Senior Technical Advisor uh, for FedEx Express uh, for the Technology Research and Planning Team. Uh, that's a fancy way of saying R&D. Um, but my team takes care of, we look at the, the technology that is the next wave that is going to be entering the enterprise. And here at our facility, here in Memphis, Tennessee, we actually test some of those. And actually, yeah, you see some of them running around right now behind me. Uh, we're always running tests out here. We actually have a big interoperability test that we're going to show the world next week uh, from this facility uh, with a lot of our vendor partners that we're ready to really just show off of what, what robotics is capable of doing. And uh, I think we'll stop there. I, I know we're going to get into a lot of more other things that my team works on, but yeah, just for the audience, there's, there's robots <laughs> yep. running around because uh, that's what we do. That's, that's our job. I mean, we, we make these things uh, work and uh, get them out into our uh, team members' hands so they can uh, help deliver packages. And Aaron, if I may ask, you know, going back in, in time, how did you get into automation, control systems, and just, I would say, your current role on FedEx? What led you to uh, be on this path? Yeah, I mean... I started with FedEx 26 years ago, not to date myself too much. Uh, I was a university student uh, and I needed money, um, like most university students. And FedEx was actually starting a weekend shift. And uh, boy, talk about a great place for uh, university students to land. And they would actually pay for our tuition, uh, which was even better. And uh, I unloaded trucks on the weekend and I thought that was going to be where I was going to go. Uh, I was going to eventually leave after I graduated, but no, I just sort of fell in love with the place and were over these 26 years. I have, I have worked in every type of operation there is. I have done courier stations, ramps, the hub. I've done it. I've done engineering integration. I've done all those things. And a couple of years ago, one of my cohorts that I'd worked with on a project before had come over to this group and they were like, hey, we're really going to expand this group. We really need more folks that understand operations, understand technology. Uh, I know you've never done robotics. And I'm like, hey, stop right there. I'm in. <laughs> you had me at robots. I'm in. Uh, and 
that's how I got started. I really just, I sort of just asked and I wanted to be on the job and I got in over here actually and got quickly promoted to the senior advisor position. And this is where I'm at now. And, uh, and I love every minute of it. I mean, I would not trade this for anything. This is, I mean, I, as I said, I've been with the company 26 years. I will gladly stay here for 26 more years if I get to keep doing what I'm doing. And I think it's, you know, it's very interesting to realize. And I think a lot of us maybe take this for granted if you don't kind of take a moment and think about the, I would say the duration and the speed at which we can get our packages, what it truly takes in the back. And obviously we're going to get into some of these technologies in just a second, but I think it's important to maybe realize through, you know, what you've done at FedEx, how technologically enabled the the process really is and how like to some degree, it's similar to what you'd see in manufacturing, you know, where a lot of our listeners are probably more familiar with, but it's very similar uh, to those environments in terms of requiring robotics, requiring control systems. And if you want to, I guess, like if you'd like to elaborate, I'd be very curious about um, hearing, you know, maybe some of, the, some of the contrasts, but also maybe some of the challenges, like what kind of technologies are, um, I would say, more emphasized in your world versus maybe a traditional like chemical plant, for as an example? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issue when it comes to automation and robotics in the logistics industry versus the manufacturing, and, and sorry about that, guys. We do have our lights on a timer, so let me just... Not a problem. Get that back on. So, so hey, we, we, we're saving energy. Um, but the, the issue is, is the diversity that we have to deal with. If you're in a factory and you're making the same kind of parts, you can build around those parts. Even if you have even, even several couple of parts, every night I'm dealing with two, three, four million different types of packages. And how do we build automation and robotics that can handle all? That's, that's my team's challenge. And that's what we're always trying to find a solution for. And we have those solutions in very key places uh, as AI and vision has gotten better to be able to deal with those diversities as, uh, as mobile robots like these guys to deal with the complexities of our warehouses and operations where we just put stuff everywhere sometimes. I mean, right now they're running around in a very nice, clean, open environment. But it, I, this is part of what we do here test-wise. I need to fill this place with nothing but pallets and sacks. I could do that and it, very quickly, actually. You can see some of our stuff in the back. And that's, that's our challenge right now is, is how do we deal with the diversity of all these packages? I mean, everyone, I mean, everyone probably today got some kind of package somewhere. I mean, and the next day you're going to get another package. So it's how do I always be able to deliver quickly to you using the same automation to deliver those different packages each time? I think that's one of our biggest challenges. Now, where we're seeing big gains uh, that 10 years ago we could only dream of, and now it's really waking up, is we're able to go beyond the barcode. Uh, for those that realize, FedEx was the first company to track packages. I mean, that's, I mean we, we created that whole kind of concept of tracking packages. So now it's, how do you get more information? How do you maybe not, not need to always to scan a barcode? How can you do that? And this is where we're starting to get into technology like Bluetooth, 
RFID technologies and how do we apply those to it? I mean, actually, I have one of our devices and hard to see, but this little guy is a little Bluetooth transmitter. And like for every vaccine shipment, this guy went on him. And this, this is pinging nonstop. It's giving information to us. It's, it's, it's telling us a bunch of stuff. I could put an RFID tag on some of the pallets we're sending around the world, and I can know where those are at at given time. So going beyond this barcode concept is now possible. And the amount of data now we're creating is amazing. We actually have, we've launched a new company here at FedEx called Beta, FedEx DataWorks. And they are there to create all the new tools we're going to use to create off of this data that only, not only helps us get packages to our customers faster, but we can even provide that information to our customers so they can actually start seeing all their packages, their supply chain forming on their dashboard, and they can see everything at one time and start seeing, do I have issues? Do I need to adjust things? Uh, and that was not possible until we got all this rich data coming into us now. And I think, Aaron, you know, it's important, if I may add on to that, for those who are maybe not familiar with, let's say you mentioned, you know, the vaccine compliance, there's also regulatory bodies that require for you to, again, like send the temperature readings as like the base condition to make sure that everything's okay, right? So it's not it's not that you're just co collecting the position of the packages, but also, the con I guess, what's going on with the contents and making sure that they get reliably uh, to the customer. But I think it's very interesting. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about yesterday that I was very impressed by is that you can react to weather data, right? So you can pull that information from an external or a third party source, I would assume, and then be able to reroute uh, your packages. And I would say that's probably one of the uh, algorithms that is already figured out how to get that done. But it's still a very impressive, I would say, like feat to make sure that the package gets uh, more optimally delivered to uh, to the end user. Yeah, I mean, actually, great question that, Vlad. I mean, we here in the, it, just here in the United States, we have pretty much five, what's considered the major hubs of the U.S. for FedEx. Memphis, where I'm at, is the main hub. It is the, the mother one. Indianapolis is our next largest hub. Um, Dallas uh, is our next hub in the middle of the country. And then we have Greensboro on the East Coast, and then we have Oakland on the West Coast. And between those, I, I mean, everyone, I'm pretty sure, has just seen this on a map of how we've sort of triangulated the, the country. But if there is a hiccup, weather-wise, someone in there, the other hubs now can adjust. And we can reroute and we can go around storms and we can do all this great stuff. Uh, we have a great meteorology department here in Memphis. Actually, there's actually some great YouTube videos out there of showing some of the tools our meteorology department has. And I'll, I'm quite frankly, I, there are weathermen across the country that are jealous of so, just some of the tools our guys have. But we're, we touch 99% of the world economy. We are watching the entire planet all the time because with 600 plus planes, gosh, 30,000 plus trailers out there. We got a lot of assets to watch and, and manage. And because now we can put trackers on not even the packages, but even everything else we have, we can manage all this and really deliver for our customers. Uh, and 
sometimes it does look weird of okay, why did a package go through Indy or why did it go through Dallas and not through this? Because maybe we just saw there was an extra opportunity or something else we had to reroute around. And with all that data, we were able to do that. I've certainly had those questions in the past, you know, but now that you've explained it, I always assume that it's optimized on some metrics, but it's uh, it's great to see that, you know, there's a lot of thought that has been put into those routes and it's not just, you know, the shortest path uh, available. So it's, it's a really interesting, I guess, uh, approach that I would not have immediately thought was already implemented. Uh, what about, you know, one thing that you've mentioned is the collection of data. Right, so with all these trackers, with all the sensors, even the AGVs, the uh, the tags, the RFIDs, the barcodes, you're collecting a lot of data. I, I was wondering, like, what are your thoughts, you know, on some of the challenges there? Maybe how you're working through uh, solving those data challenges, and what are you seeing, um, like, coming up? Maybe if you can share some of that information. I mean, there's there's a lot of challenges out there. I can't, I can't talk about all of them, um, but there's the biggest thing is is like getting consistent data um, is always a big thing of not having blind spots in the network, um, making sure we're getting correct data to begin with. I mean, that's one thing our our customers we work with our customers a lot on um, because if if we're providing rich data sets back to our customers, this starts opening the doors of how we could plug into their whole supply chain from the moment a part's made all the way to its delivery. And if we have good data all the way across that, that, that becomes gold for our customers because we'll fill in our little section for them. But the whole thing is that they're not providing good data on their front end for their own personal use our data feedbacks might not pay off for them because they, they, they're not doing them. So this is always something we always stress with customers is the whole concept of uh, GIGO is, is real. Garbage in, garbage out. Um, and we can provide some great data sets, but if there's not a way for us to provide that based off of your already existing data sets, we're not painting a good picture for you as a customer. So that's one thing I think we, we really want to work with everyone on is make sure let's make sure we're all in agreement on what needs to be in those data sets and, and, and provide good, accurate data. Because I think for manufacturers, especially right now, we've, we've, I think they said supply chain now is a banned word for 2022 because it's gotten used so much. Yep. Um, but there's something about you're seeing the companies that had good data and we're able to monitor their supply chains through this storm and ongoing storm for right now, you're seeing them not having those issues because they, they really invested in their data architecture. They invested in able to get, have that good data. And then we add our component. Oh, there's a good section now that, and then as we deliver, they, they still have rich data sets on the other side to keep everything in balance. So this is one thing I think all of us, this is just not a, us issue. This is an everybody issue of just, we got to make sure we're, we're building real good data sets. We know what we're going to get data on and we go after it. Yeah, no, I, I certainly, you know, would agree with you. I think especially nowadays it's, it's a big challenge and I think a lot of companies are tackling it. 
I don't think that it has been completely solved because of the complexities in the field, you know, some of which like you've described very well. Um, but uh, I think there's still a lot to, to improve on. And uh, one question we actually got from Aaron. Uh, so he's asking about what about security and uh, privacy, you know, and I think, you know, maybe there's like, and this is just my thought, feel free to uh, elaborate on this, but there's two segments, right? For uh, FedEx, for example, you can have your internal data where, again, you're tracking some of your metrics on how the performance is, but then there's also customer data that you're probably managing through like your websites, your um, like infrastructure through which, you know, packages are going through. So I'm wondering your thoughts on what are some of the challenges there maybe? Yeah, I mean, excellent question, Aaron. Um, security is, is top of mind all the time. Uh, our FedEx services, uh, InfoSec team, uh, top notch. They, they are always on. They're always looking at, at this. Uh, and there is a lot of emphasis on that side. Actually, um, one thing I'm proud of is a Memphian is, and a graduate of the University of Memphis is the University of Memphis is actually one of the top cybersecurity programs mm -hmm. in the country. And I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't that they're right here with FedEx. Um, it, 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 it just shows you how seriously we take those issues. Uh, privacy, again, very thing. We have a lot. Yes, we have a lot of customer data and we have to protect that. And, and e even though there's a lot of regulations around there, I mean, actually, gosh, we probably could spend a whole podcast on EU regulations and how it impacts the United States, even though we're not an EU country. We have to keep those in mind because we are a global uh, company of privacy. There's regulation, but it's, it's just good business. You take care of your customer's stuff. You don't make, you don't expose their, your customer to those kind of things. That's just good business practice. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, I think it's uh, concerning. Well, I mean, security is a concerning topic or a good conversation topic, even from last year, right? Where, we saw multiple breaches, so I think it's important to have the right people and the right teams in place to uh, make sure we solve these issues. Dave, I want to maybe okay. give you a so, moment. So, to, so, uh, yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Well, just real quick, I, I would say to the audience members, if you know good cybersecurity guys, you come on this show. Okay. I think I think we just got you guys your next show. <laughs> Dave, I want wanted to give Absolutely. you an opportunity maybe to ask a question. No, no, breaking up just a little so, bit. Uh, absolutely. So sorry about that. Uh, Aaron, uh, so I, I liked your comment at the very beginning when you were getting ready to come on board with the R&D group and you said something to the effect of they had you at robots. Um, I think you had all of us also at robots, but beyond robots, can you tell us a little bit more of kind of the, the nuts and bolts, whether it's high speed conveyors, how do you move as many packages as you guys have to move every day, day in, day out, and make sure to kind of keep your uptime and then also allow us to, to understand where they are everywhere in, in the world to take that data element and to share it to maybe a billion people every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a big, big network uh, between FedEx Express, which is my side, is the airline side of, of FedEx and FedEx Ground, FedEx Freight, each one of these companies is dealing with a ton of packages, palletized freight, all those kind of things. So it is, how do we automate as much of that process as possible? 
high-speed belts, great. And we, we deploy them nonstop. Actually, the Memphis hub has miles and miles and miles. I've lost track of how many miles. But the whole thing is, is let's just say we drove it, it would take over an hour. I know that. Of, we had to drive every belt. It would take forever, even at full speed. But it is now, again, that diversity problem of how do you build automation that can deal with all the diversity of all our packages? Uh, oops. I'm going to keep talking. It sounds like the, we have a little bit of a video problem. We there can we still hear you. There. Okay. Um, but it's just uh, how, how do we build this up? Because we have to go fast. Our customers, I mean, FedEx is a verb. <laughs> I mean, when you think about that, I mean, I mean, we are a verb uh, because of what we are capable of doing. And we, we don't take that lightly at all. Um, and so, yeah, high-speed belts, trackability beyond the barcode of, of actually letting the packages tell us where they're at at all times. Uh, robotics. And how do you, we mix all this together to build the network out further as we expand greenfield sites it's easy to put these technologies in but also how do we go back to our existing infrastructures and put in robotics and automation without our our customers missing a beat they're they don't even notice we're doing it but we're we're still upgrading our our older buildings as well and that's a challenge but the good thing is is that as we get these data sets and we start seeing the mix and we can start seeing where things are going and also working with our customers. That's actually one of the biggest things. A lot of folks, we actually have a packaging lab. Um, it's my, my fellow crazy scientists and all they work on are packaging and working with customers of you. We need to fix this. This is, this is not going to work for you. Um, you're, you're shipping X and that means you probably need a box that can accommodate that over someone else's and working with those customers and working with and showing them how the packaging can actually help them of investing in a good packaging is, is key. If you're sending breakable stuff, you want good packaging. And, and, and it's, that team's sole job is actually working with those customers to design better packaging. And again, none of that was possible without data of showing us, okay, yeah, we got, we got some issues here, but let's work together. Let's fix this. And, and we've come up with some great stuff. I mean, I actually, uh, we've shown off some of these, uh, these new packaging designs we've, we've come up with, with our customers and a, they're great for the product inside, but also think of it now when you get a package, is your package almost branding in a way for, for your business? Uh, that's actually the next big thing that we're starting to see is actually using the packaging as, as almost a marketing tool. But <laughs> what's that marketing stuff do to our vision systems? Do, what does it throw off a camera where it can't tell what that is? Uh, we've gotten some interesting ones. Uh, I didn't know hot pink glitter packaging existed until I started seeing 500 of those packages coming down the line. It's like, well, that's interesting. Definitely got my attention, but then I could also see, wait, we're gonna have a problem with some of the vision systems if we don't look at this right now. 
Yeah, and I think this ties back to your previous point where you said how much variability there is, you know, in in your business, right? And I think you've explained maybe the sizes of the packages, and I think that's something that we can anticipate or imagine, but glitter on a package or different colors, and again, you can have plastic that's slightly more reflective than, you know, your standard cardboard, and that throws off your entire, like, barcode scanning, or at least, like, the, the most basic functionalities of your vision systems, and that's probably a lot, a lot more difficult to imagine, again, than different sizes, and I think it, it's interesting that you say it because I think... Again, maybe the end users would care a lot more about their design of the package and how it gets to the customer, but it's also important to take care of some of these intermediary steps that allow it to get there as fast as they do without like causing trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, Dave, I think yep. that was a really I mean, good question. Yeah, and, and the whole thing is, is our biggest thing also, and I, just to close out on this question, was is that the more human touches of a package we can eliminate through automation. That's one of the things my team focuses on a lot is because every time a human has to touch it, that's a human that has can't do something else for us. Um, so as we can eliminate those touch points across the network, that becomes even more valuable because that means our, our, our team members can go focus on other things that automation or robotics and other things just can't. It's still those kind of tasks that just require a human brain to figure out like address correction. You'd be surprised how many times people put the wrong address on a package and we have to figure it out and fix it. And we have a question based on that final answer. So from Eric, Eric is asking, and I don't know how much you can elaborate on this specifically. So he's asking question for Aaron, what causes the most amount of downtime at the main hubs and how is that overcome? I'm, I'm also, I guess, like curious, like I said, I don't know if you can give us a very specific answer, but curious to know. Well, I mean, our, uh, one of our biggest, whoa, had a bunch of lights go out, one sec. <laughs> but one of the things I would say is that besides weather, okay, weather we can't control, but our, our meteorology department does a great job of trying to pre-plan and we and we can we we have some great teams as as the weather gets bad we can actually uh do some things uh it snowed this past weekend here in memphis the snow teams went out there cleared everything that's so that's act of god kind of stuff but sometimes we just have stuff break um uh, and when you're in a huge facility a key belt breaking is going to cause some problems. What is great though is, is we have IoT on all, all, all our belts. We do tons of preventive maintenance and we also have a, a pretty much a fire team ready to go. If something breaks, boom. And, and our guys, our, our guys, our technicians are some of the best in the world and they can swap out those belts, get us up and going. But the biggest thing is, is again, going back to data is we have all this IOT now on our belts and we're like, Ooh, that rotor is not, not turning at the same speed. Let's check that rotor during the off time. And yeah, our guys in between sorts are, are checking belts. They're pulling belts. They're doing, and, and sometimes I look at it and says, I'm not saying anything wrong. Well, oh, we got an alert or this one's not running like what it should. Let's just swap it out. So we don't have a problem again, but that was not possible until we got all this great data IOT, all this, all, all this stuff, and it's it's really paying off now for us. 
Yeah, and I mean, I can only imagine that there's going to be more and more technology that allows us to, again, like track that more precisely and allow us to give, I guess, speed is always the name of the game, right? So the earlier you can diagnose some of these problems, I would imagine you probably track like tension, vibration on the on the belts, and you're probably looking at the motors as well. So I think that's, that's a, a very interesting, again, I think, you know, not knowing how the hubs operate, I would imagine you have maybe some shutdowns here and there that you would do maintenance on while the rest of the area operates because you probably cannot interrupt the entire uh, facility, you know, to do yeah. your maintenance. So it's, uh, I'm sure, quite an operation and they have to do it very quickly and get it back up to speed um, in order to continue processing. Yep. No, I think that's a, that's a good, really good question. Um, one or two, um, while Dave comes back, talk a little more so... We had, you know, some conversations about the hubs, but there's more than just the hubs about FedEx. You mentioned, you know, there's the airplane. So obviously that's also collecting data, but there's some um, interesting developments that we talked about yesterday. So the fuel you're using, um, you're getting it's bio like degradable. It's from or it's from bio waste, right? Like you're doing some innovation there as well. Yeah, we're we've been working with several companies. Uh, Boeing uh, is one of our big partners in all this and we've been working on algae-based biofuels um, and uh, we actually have a eco demonstrator aircraft uh, that is a test plane that Boeing and us use to test these kind of things and the, the, there's a lot of promise um, and we have a hard commitment here in FedEx to be carbon neutral by 2040. Uh, we Earlier this, uh, trying to remember if it happened technically last year or this year, but we did launch our first batch of electric uh, delivery vans, uh, and we have many, many of more of those coming on online. Uh, and we are looking at every type of way we can get to that goal in 2040 of being carbon neutral. Biofuels is a great one uh, that we're seeing some real promise in right now. Uh, as I said, Boeing is a great partner on that, and we're, we're doing that work with them. And how much more of how can we electrify the fleet more? Uh, these little guys are electric. Um, so it is, we, are, we know we are a big consumer of energy. It takes a lot of energy to deliver packages. It is, takes a lot of energy to run a worldwide network like we do. Uh, but we can do it right. We can do it green. It, and we are very much working on that. Uh, it's not just my team. It's several teams here at FedEx that are addressing those things. And I, I really am looking forward to where, where we eventually end up on all that stuff. But it's a lot of promise, a lot of promise. Can you comment anything about uh, drones and autonomous vehicles maybe on the streets? I, I'm wondering if there's any R&D done in, in those directions? Personal curiosity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually, uh, for those that were here in Memphis for the AMR conference that got to come out to our facility, uh, actually saw some of our drone work. We actually have a, a drone launch station just outside our building and because, again, we're at our NEPA site. Uh, and a lot of folks, actually, I think our, our buddy, like Jake Hall, Luki, I think they posted a lot of photos uh, during that show. And so, yeah. We, are, we actually have a program here in Memphis, and Memphis is like the only airport that the FAA allows drone testing to be done so close to the airport, uh, and it's because of 
trusted partners of just not FedEx. We have a bunch of partners here in Memphis working on that. The University of Memphis uh, and and the, the uh, airport authority works with us on this. But we're doing a lot of work in drones, and it's also getting a little bit beyond just package delivery. Uh, package delivery is just one use case uh, that drones can do. Uh, we've done perimeter checks. We've done parts delivery for our aircraft maintenance guys, uh, which has been a very interesting test. And again, could not have been done unless the FAA gave us permission here in Memphis to do that, of actually a technician is at, at an aircraft uh, prepping it for its launch, realizes, oh, I need a new part. And before he'd jump in his truck and he'd drive all the way across the field, get the part, drive all the way back across the field, to then fix it. Well, we actually started doing delivery of of those parts by drone at the airport. Um, there's some great videos out there about that. Um, and that was a great teaching tool for the FAA because again, they're trying to learn how do we use drones responsibly? What are these use cases? So that was one. Uh, we've done aircraft inspections uh, with drones. Uh, a lot of airlines are, are starting to do that because it is hard to get someone up on a boom to look at the top of the aircraft fully to make that inspection. All of us have been to the airport where we've been seeing the pilots like doing their walk around as we're waiting to get on. We can see the pilots walking around. Well, they're remember, they're looking up, they're checking things, but can they really see the top of the aircraft? Make sure there's nothing right. wrong up there. Drones have a huge opportunity to address that as well. So, it's interesting that everyone likes to focus when they talk about drones with FedEx or UPS or Amazon of we're doing package delivery. That, and that's a great use case, but it's all these other cool things we're starting to learn of how we can use them in our operations where they're not doing package delivery, but they're doing something else. They're, that, they're a flying robot for us of, oh, before I'd have to put a guy on a boom, lift a boom, and he'd look over the aircraft. Then you'd come down, well, shoot, just once the drone scan, done that turns the aircraft faster for us. And that just gets the customer or the package faster. So it all feeds into itself. Oh, I love it. I think it's a very good use case that I would not have thought of, but you know, obviously FedEx has such a fleet and probably a need to do those examinations on a, on a very regular basis that uh, it absolutely makes sense once, uh, once you've described it. That's, that's phenomenal, Aaron. Uh, one question we got again from Aaron that, again, maybe on this slight tangent of future technologies, um, the question is, what's the opportunity for, for a blockchain at FedEx? Are you testing things? Are you maybe having some thoughts about it? Anything like concrete come out of it yet? Um, I can't talk fully on it, but we are very active. Actually, FedEx is one of the first ones to join the uh, Blockchain Alliance. Uh, the Blockchain Transportation Alliance. Make sure I said that correctly. And there's a great team of, of FedExers that are working on that side. Uh, they do bring us, my, my team in as needed on that kind of stuff. So I, I really don't want to do them a disservice, but I will say FedEx is very active in blockchain because of everything else we're working on. It's just not my team. And that's, that's really great to hear. I think, you know, that's uh, like me and Dave have been talking about that a lot. The, the importance, I would say, to try some of these emerging technologies without necessarily fully committing to the, to the final solution, but seeing how it can be applied to some of your use cases, right? So 
again, like going back to the drones, but also tying in like blockchain, I think it's important to um, like figure out what it could be used for. And again, I'm sure we'll we'll hear some news once it is deployed by your teams and uh, obviously available to the public. But I'm, I'm curious to see what's uh, going to happen on that end. But Dave, uh, I wanted to once again pull you back in and see if you had any questions for Aaron. Well, glad to, to quote you. I have so many questions, uh, but but no, Aaron. Uh, I, I think I think all of it is I think all of it is is amazing. I think it's exciting. I'm over here sitting, thinking to myself, man, listen to all of the amazing things that Aaron is doing. Uh, yeah, like there are just so many ways we can go. So I guess kind of the the, the question I want to ask you before we kind of delve into the robotic side is. You and the team at FedEx, at least the R&D side, seem to be, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ahead of many manufacturing companies. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions for them outside of smart sensors, collect more data, use the data that you would suggest as a starting point? The, the biggest thing I've always tried to stress to uh, small and medium companies um, is if you're going to automate, I mean, go, go and find that, that real quick win. Find that thing that you can automate right now with existing technologies um, and do it. Just, just get it done. And case in point, one of the things that like the logistics industry really went after early was palletization. I mean, palletization is a, everyone's doing it. Okay, everyone's building up pallets out of their out of their factories, uh, out of their warehouses. So that technology exists. Uh, you can get a palletization robot from any company. I don't care if it's Fanuc, ABB, Yaskawa, Nachi, UR. List goes on and on. You can do that. And there are plenty of, of providers that can help you get started right away on that kind of stuff. Uh, you don't need to be a programmer right now with some of the great stuff that are coming out of some of these no-code companies like Ready Robotics up in Columbus, Ohio, and so many others. I mean, actually, we're starting to see even the, the big players like ABB and Yaskawa and others get into that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's out there. And really, just do some research, but then start calling some folks. Of Everyone's out, on, out there on, online. You can find these, these, these companies. I mean, just Python, I need a palletizing robot. I bet you will get a bunch of companies that can do that for you right now. So find those, those low-hanging fruit use cases, and trust me, you can do it. And uh, I know, Vlad and, and Dave, we were, we were going to sort of talk about workforce development a little bit later, but just maybe sort of start jumping into that, that realm, is we have seen that if for those companies that actually take the risk and go full in and are willing to be trained on this technology, you can do it. Okay. We, we have taken like the ready platform, Yaskawa arms, uh, UR arms, ready robotics, and been able to take folks that have had zero training and taken them to lights out production on CNC machines in 10 days. You can do that less on palletization. Uh, it, but the whole thing is you got to start you got to just get started. And, just, and, I, and, I, and I, I say this from the deepest of my heart for everyone. You have a, a, a use case 
You might not think of it, but you have a task that you can automate right now in your factory. I have not been to a factory yet that I have not seen two or three tasks or use cases that I can automate right now with existing equipment. But it's just get started. I mean, it's scary, but the whole thing is, is one of the things I, I really love about the robotics and automation industry is everyone is so nice. Everyone's right there to help you. But unless you bring, unless you approach them and say, hey, I want to solve this, you're not going to get anywhere. So you, again, just like how I got on this robotics team of just saying, I'm, I'm in, I want to do it. You as a small, medium manufacturer or small or medium warehouse company, just get started. Just, just find that task and go after it. And that, that is exciting. I absolutely want to talk more about that. We're going to dive into a whole workforce development theme or section right now. But first, we have to thank some people. So, Vlad, will you play us that noise, and then we can thank Opto22. Awesome. Uh, perfect. So we want to thank Opto. Thank you, Vlad. So we want to thank Opto22 for sponsoring this theme and all of their support. Uh, for over 45 years, OEMs, machine builders, systems integrators, and IT and operations personnel have looked to Opto22 for innovative automation products at an affordable price. Heard of OPC? Opto22 co-wrote the spec as one of the founding members. Ethernet.io? That was them also. How about PACs? Them again. Today, Opto22 designs and manufactures industrial control and IIoT products like Groove Epic and Groove Rio that bridge the gap between IT and OT following the core philosophy of open standards-based technology. And if you are not quite pumped up enough uh, listening to our conversation so far uh, with Aaron, I suggest going back to episode 43, listening to the conversation that we had with Benson, uh, talking about all of these technologies. I think it is they go very well together, Aaron, because Benson, we were kind of talking about the history and the evolution and what I was defining as like the bleeding edge. And the conversation we're having is where most people hope to be in 10 years, right? Um, and, and so I, I think that that's awesome. And again, there are just robots behind you um, at, at the very moment. So um, this is all very exciting. And I want to talk about workforce development and kind of career advice and kind of all of those things. And so I'm going to ask you to talk about eCami, which I know is an organization that you're involved in. And then I'm going to let Vlad pepper you with a bunch of career advice and workforce development questions. Okay. Yeah, uh, eCami, uh, the Eastern Kentucky Advanced Manufacturing Institute is in Paintsville, uh, Kentucky, about, you know, about a two-hour drive. Uh, south of Lexington. It is very much in a very rural part of the United States. It is pole country. And we all know where pole currently is and where it's going. So eCami is very much working on retraining that population of former coal miners and just, their, just the existing population as well on advanced manufacturing and robotics. And they have a great track record. Actually, they're about to graduate. I think, I think, their 12th class this coming week. Uh, it will be about 15 individuals, and all of them have job offers. Actually, all of them have multiple job offers already. Wow. And it's amazing what they've done. They do Haas uh, CNC machine training, and but they start the they start those guys actually on the same stuff that many of us. I'm already having flashbacks to the metal shop and wood shop, but they start them on those tools. 
and to get them up to speed and then they start getting on to the bigger machines and then they get onto the robotics and it is amazing what they're doing as i said we did a, uh, a work with them with ready robotics and those guys went th through that training and in 10 days they were doing lights out production um which is an amazing thing of a lot of these guys are former coal miners 20 30 40 years for some of them and they lost their job they're going through this program they have never seen a robot in their life they've never seen a cnc machine in their life and now they are training and they're doing lights out production at the end so that's why from earlier i'm saying it can be done guys it can be done you just got to put yourself out there and do it and that's what those guys did they they like i i want to be able to do this they are, they are the most go-getter guys ever i mean it, it takes something i will never have i will never be able to go down in a coal mine i i i know i would never survive down there and these guys live that life day in and day out and now because of the of what's happening with the coal industry um they've had to pivot which is a brave thing to do after you've been doing the same thing for 20 30 40 years and they just pick it up it's amazing how fast they pick this up because actually there's a lot of stuff you learn down in that mine that applies to advanced manufacturing and robotics actually one of the first times i went up there and we started talking about programming mobile robots a lot of the guy says man these maps look so familiar and i'm like well what do you mean and he says these look like our coal mining maps and the next day they actually brought in some of their maps and we laid them down and they're, they're the same grid patterns that you see in mobile i mean so the whole thing is is these these guys already understand mapping and how how that all is going to operate and so when that we they got put in front of the mobiles they picked it up in no time they were they were it's like I'm out. I mean, you guys got this. I don't need to be doing this because they just, they took those older skills and applied it to this. And I think that's one of the amazing things a lot of people don't realize is just because you haven't done something doesn't mean that you haven't done something in the past that you can now pivot and relate to. And I think that's one of the big things I, I really want to stress to employers out there is just a, we don't have time for, of, you need to get five years of experience uh, before you get this starter job. That Those days are all over. But it's also now looking at, okay, what did you work on in the past that might actually point to the career that you could go to? And I think we talk about data a lot. I think that's actually gonna be the next thing is actually taking a lot of this data about people's work histories and sort of projecting wow, you could actually be over in this industry because of what you did, or you could be over in this industry as you could do. Um, there was a great study recently done by, by a team at Microsoft that found the more foreign languages you know, the better programmer or developer you could be, potentially. And I think that's going to be a real interesting thing because we're short programmers and developers. So if that study is really correct and I think that's what they're trying to do right now over at Microsoft is actually sort of prove this out and they're from my understanding is they're doing it internally on themselves is they're actually going through all their employees and finding who has all the all the language skills and say hey have you ever thought about being a developer and they're like no and and they're, they're doing those tests now and we're hearing some good results so that could be a big 
thing down the road is what are those skill sets from a totally, what might be a totally unrelated uh, field or industry that you could actually use to pivot them to a new career as needed? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the study like that. But again, I'm curious to see what kind of other parallels are going to be drawn. Um, again, based on different industries, I think, you know, I've again, I can't quote a specific study, but I think they're realizing more and more that, again, diversity is a factor on certain teams, right? It becomes a more efficient process as you bring people with different backgrounds, per se. So I think um, it's going to yeah. be very interesting what they're going to find. And going back to the transition through like ecamming from cold mines, I think it's interesting that you could find, uh, again, a parallel into manufacturing or distribution centers, CNC work robotics that's that's really awesome and so what's the you know just to confirm like are you involved in that are you part of uh, a committee there or what's is fedex a sponsor what's your involvement on on that initiative i mean i i i'm i think my title is technical advisor um yeah. i i work with i work with the guys i work with uh kathy walker who's who started it uh barbie beauty uh who's the director and uh i really just advise and uh, of what they need to look at next, what are some of the new technologies that they might want to explore. I definitely uh, point a lot of folks in the industry to them because one of the things that's amazing about these guys is how fast they pick up things. And if, if you're a robotics firm, or actually if you're, if you're in manufacturing robotics and you're not calling up eCami, if, if you have openings, you're missing out, plain and simple. Because as I said, these guys, this next next class is about to graduate, and they have multiple offers on the table, uh, and it's because these guys are high quality. And employers keep coming back. Uh, they have one employee employer, uh, and I'm I can't out them, but they're a great company. They're they are a household name, but they started getting students from the previous class, and they were just blown away by the quality. So these guys are amazing. They, these guys are way ahead of anybody else we get off the street or from even some of the other academic institutions. And they're already back. They were back when this next class started up. It's about to graduate two weeks in. They were like, uh, how many can we have? I mean, so it's like, if you're not in there trying to get these guys, you're missing out. Uh, they get hired right away. Um, and they, they get promoted so quickly when they get hired. It, I mean, it is mind boggling just how amazing the work at ECM is going on. And I, I really stress that if you are within a day's drive of Paintsville, Kentucky, you should be going there to visit and just see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and take, either take that back to your community or make them a permanent stop of how of how are you going to hire these guys? Ultimately, ultimately the goal of eCami though is to show manufacturers and others that they can open businesses in that part of Kentucky, and the workforce is there. Uh, that's the ultimate goal because as the, that part of the country really needs that. Okay, the industry that they've they've lived off of is dying. Uh, coal industry is 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 going away. We we know that the writing's on the wall. But there is so much 
infrastructure that was built in that part of the country to support that, getting trucks in and out to bring you your resources, not a problem. Plenty of infrastructure. Actually, looking at the map of how centralized they are, of how quickly you, they can hit Nashville, Cincinnati, the Carolinas from that central location really makes them an ideal place for a manufacturing location. And they have plenty of land. And, it, and, it, and it's also some of the most gorgeous part of the country ever out there. So really, our, the ultimate goal is to get somebody to locate there. They're going to have great employees right out of the gate. And they could de definitely make that part of the country a, a, a great place again. Yeah, and I think it's a I think it's a great initiative. I've posted the link on uh, LinkedIn and our channel on YouTube. And if you're listening to the recording of this, there's going to be a link in the footnotes if you want to take a look. Again, it looks like they have uh, based on your comments, they have students that will be recruited, right? So if you're interested on in joining the program, or if you're an employer and uh, want to hire some of the students going through the program, there's an opportunity there as well. But um, no, I think it's it, it's really great, you know, and to bring this back to the conversation that we had with Tim last week, you know, he's trying to get a lot more people, um, obviously a slightly different mission, but ultimately trying to get a younger generation of um, uh, high school students interested in manufacturing, automation, robotics. So I think it's uh, very important to keep bringing these I would say like smaller initiatives that are maybe not entirely like university programs and, you know, a, a three to five year commitment, but something that just gives uh, people a taste of something that they otherwise wouldn't uh, have seen. Right. Because we all we all experience traditional software, I think, by using computers, playing with our phones, iPads, what have you. But uh, manufacturing, I think, is certainly underrepresented in many of these spaces. So I think this is a, a great initiative. And again, if it's capable of getting people uh, to transition from uh, an industry that is no longer uh, striving. It's, I think it's an excellent uh, bonus. But uh, Aaron, I wanted to maybe ask you in general, you know, what do you see in terms of uh, workforce at FedEx? Are you looking in, in, in a general sense, right? Like not currently open positions, but are you looking for more data scientists? Are you seeing uh, an interest in like electrical engineers? Are you seeing um, again, probably like mechanical engineers are also a big part of the team. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, maybe the next decade on how things are progressing? Yeah, uh, real good question, Vlad. Um, we, we hire a lot. I mean, we have a numerous diverse sets uh, of folks that we have to hire. Uh, I would say on the robotic side, one of the exciting things I'm actually working on with some of the, the local schools here is the development of a, of a pretty much a beginner's robotic team leader, robotic wrangler, whatever you want to call it. But a person okay. that's very much a first point of contact, uh, they, they, they get all the robots going in the morning or before the, sh the shift, they're, they're monitoring them. They're very much, and then at the end of the shift, they're shutting everything down. They're making sure everything's good for the next group. Uh, that doesn't sound like much, but that's, that's a very important role. And you've got to have some technical knowledge, at least to get through that point. Um, it's, it can still very be a, a starter position in a way, 
But also, if, if we have more of those folks being trained on just the basics of robotics at their high schools, uh, in a, a, a program like eCami or all that, or even associate's degree, more the merrier. And, and then from there, I think those guys will then also want to grow and be into, go into engineering if they want to. Actually, one of, one of the eCami grads uh, from a previous class, he's about to start engineering school. Um, because he's done such a great job at his, they actually, his employer's going to pay to send him to engineering school. Really? Um, And he's all, he's all on board. And one thing I'm very also proud of of FedEx on is they talked about, I was a university student when I started, Uh, they paid my way. And what's great is FedEx for our frontline employees, actually you can go online and do the online university of Memphis program and get your bachelor's degree if you want to. And FedEx will cover the cost of that. Um, so I think, I think education is actually going to be one of the new corporate, um, benefits. Uh, you get your health benefits, you get your dental, all that. I think education is going to be like the next big one. And we're already seeing that Starbucks has, uh, if you go work for Starbucks, you can get your degree from, uh, I believe Arizona state. Um, we saw Walmart enact a, a, they're going to pay for college. So I think that's going to be a next big thing. Amazon's doing the same thing. And, uh, and we don't always see I but I praise Amazon for doing that because I think that we need to see more of that because when you come out of, I, when I came out of high school, I thought, I, I, I don't know what I was going to do. I was, actually, I thought I was going to go into the food industry and, and learn that real fast. Of, no, I don't think I want to make a career of that. But the, but the whole thing is, is lifelong learning is going to be a thing. I am always having to read about the next new technology. As I said, my team is the cutting edge. We're the, we're the tip of the spear. So we're always getting new technologies. And don't think I'm spending half my weekends with a training manual about this thick on some new technology of just me trying to figure out what it is, what it's doing. I'm always reading about AI, blockchain, of what's going on, how do I attempt this? Uh, but it's just education is going to be the real big key going forward of how do we do that? How do we, how do we make that accessible to more folks? And how do we make it where you, you're not gonna be sitting in a class for two to four years to get to your final training thing? I, 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 have, a, I have my bachelor's degree, I have my master's degree, Quite frankly, I probably only use 2% of that now. Um, they're, they're, they're pieces of paper now to me because they're so old. Uh, I actually, my parents were doctors. I remember growing up, them telling me eight, 10 years out of medical school, you're already, everything you learned in medical school is, is, is old. And that was a long time ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's shrunk even more now with advances in medical technology. But it's, I think that's one of the big things I'm, I'm really getting focused on more and why eCami actually sort of drew me because I started thinking about this and, and eCami got on my radar and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go learn from these guys how they did it. Of how do you take a coal miner with zero experience and in 16 to 20 weeks turn them into a advanced manufacturing robotic superstar? Because that's what they did, did. So it, okay, what, how do we do that? How do we consolidate that training down where we're cranking out folks fast? Because as, as the labor pool con- 
uh, continues to shrink. I think that's one of our biggest things. So, and, and it's just not on my side. It is on the, the InfoSec side. It's on the development side. Do you need a four-year college degree to be a computer programmer? I would I argue no, but a lot of it's some folks yeah, believe I mean, you I do. So. I, yeah. So I think that this is going to be the next big challenge in work, workforce development is, is a college degree really needed for certain degrees? What about uh, certifications? Do they need to be nationalized certifications? ECAMI does uh, MIMS certifications. So those guys are coming out with about, I think, eight to 10 MIMS certifications. And those are industry standards of like, okay, a MIMS test, in Kentucky is the same as the MEMS test in California as the MEMS test in, in Boston. So there gives the industry a little bit more of, oh, you are really trained. You know what you're doing. And that should hopefully speed up. Now, is that always the case? Yeah, I can, we can make some arguments on that. But I think that's one of the big other things. And one of the things I would stress again, back to our small and medium guys out there that we've already said, you've got to go automate you also need to work with your local education institutions of what do you need for your local workforce. It is still amazing of I will post a, a, a LinkedIn post about some educational institution and what they're doing, and I'll get a message or an email from somebody 20 minutes down the street says, this is the first time I've ever heard about this. Like, you're 20 minutes away, and you're hearing it from me on LinkedIn, and I'm a thousand miles away from you. And, and it's like, so we really need to, you really need to engage your local education institutions, be those the high schools, community colleges, organizations like eCami. You really need to get in there because they don't know what, what you need unless you tell them. Um, and I think that's the big thing we need to get addressed next. Yeah, and I think, you know, to that point, I think employers, as you said, are realizing that and are more focused on practical skills rather than degrees. I think we've seen a, a number of companies kind of emphasize that skills are um, going to be like what they're looking for over just a piece of paper. And I, you know, I share the same sentiment as you from uh, from my bachelor degree days that, you know, an engineering program, although might be valuable in certain areas to know uh, calculus level three and how to take integrals and derivatives, it's not extremely applicable, at least, uh, you know, in the manufacturing setting that I have been programming uh, controllers and robots, right? So it's, um, okay. I definitely can see where that comment is coming from. But uh, no, I, I'm really curious. Again, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure that anyone has yeah. the concrete answers, but I think things are certainly changing. I really like the emergence of these non-traditional paths that you can take. I think the more options people have to learn these skills, the better. Yeah. And, and going back, I mean, are we hiring data scientists? Yes. Uh, I see so many posts internally for data scientists because we, as I said, we we're starting a new company, uh, data works, they're needing data scientists. Uh, one of the things I also want to comment on is my, my team, we're a very diverse group. Uh, my core team of 10 folks, uh, a, I, I, another challenge I'm going to throw out is half of my team is female. We, we, we are 50, 50. Uh, and that's one thing I have so, I've been so proud of my team. And we've always been 50, 50. 
And, uh, and, it, it, and it sort of just happened. We were always looking for the best candidates. When one of us leaves or one of us retires, actually out of my group, you retire out of my group because no one wants to leave. Um, but it, we're always getting that next wave of great talent. And yes, electrical, mechanical, data science. We have English majors. English majors are very good at this stuff. A lot of folks don't realize that. But the whole thing is, is one of the things my team has to do a lot of is what? Communication. We actually have to communicate to the end users of what we're developing. How, we're do, how are we uh, going to do all this? So the engineering is great. I mean, we, we have great engineers. But two of my project managers are, are English majors. And I would not trade them for the world because of what they're capable of doing, of documentation, keeping up with us, keeping us straight. How are we communicating to this? How are we going uh, to present this to the, the final end user? All those things. Those, I lean on them so much. And it's just because they, they understand human communication. And trust me, robotics and automation aren't going to go anywhere without the humans. If, without the humans, robotics and automation don't mean nothing. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's, um, it was the, the th three pillars of digital transformation, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's people, process, technology, right? So it's, uh, it's an important piece that I think um, some very technically focused uh, people often miss that uh, being able to communicate. And again, I think even more so in like an R&D facing role where you're always trying new things or trying to uh, sort of push the technological level so you're not just uh, testing things in a bubble you really need to uh, to be able to convey the different information the different findings and how it can impact the bottom line of the business right so that's um, very very good point Aaron um, Dave as I look at the time we're already past the hour um, ah, I, I certainly yeah. have as I always say several questions or many more questions so we could probably go on for three hours, but how about we ask uh, Aaron our three questions to be respectful of uh, everybody's time? Absolutely. So I would say thank you for that, Aaron. Uh, thank you for that, Vlad. Um, we, to, uh, to go ahead and finish up, always ask the same last questions. Uh, you've given us a ton of career advice. Um, and you've told us you spend a lot of time reading technical and other manuals. Do you have a piece of content suggestion, whether it be a book or whether it be something else uh, where you go to uh, to learn your information, Aaron? Oh, man. And, and, you, and Dave, you gave me this question ahead of time, and I kept thinking on it. Thinking on it. Um, and I will say that one of the books – I'm just going to recommend – one book, and I'm, and I'm getting my lights back on, um, is a, a book that actually I own. I physically own the book, and I actually uh, have the, uh, uh, e -book, the the ebook, the tape version of it, because I still listen to it, even though it's, I think it was, it was 2019 is when it came out. But it's called Surrounded by Idiots. And it is, it is very much a behavioral book of understanding human behavior and how uh, to effectively communicate uh, within your business and also even in your personal life. It is, it, 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 the title does sort of shock you, um, but it, it, and I, 
I'm not saying I don't work with idiots. I've worked with some of the smartest people in the world. Um, but it is, the whole thing is, is my job on the, on, as, as a scientist, as an engineer, means nothing if I can't communicate to the next person of why am I doing this? I, my team, we're, we're, we're sending communications in every freaking direction there is. Up the chain of this is what we're working on. This is why you're funding us. Uh, this is where we should, we'll, we'll probably produce something for you. And we have to communicate that to a very diverse crowd of leaders, finance, accounting, all that. Flip side is, is I'm also communicating to the guy at the front end, front of the line. And I have to be able to switch my, my style sometimes. And I think that's one of the biggest things I really think a lot of folks need to work on sometimes is, is you have to be able to deal with a lot of different people, different backgrounds, different cultures, different educational offers, all these things. And if you're not an effective communicator, of you're not going to succeed. Okay, and I, I and sometimes I've actually got, come out of meetings and I'm like, man, I did not do a good job on that. I know what's going to happen, and so I'm always and now going through my own communications of how do I do this better the next time. Um, and and that that's one of the things I, I and actually again I, I going back to eCami, one of the great things that they also work on with the guys is their soft skills, their communications. They actually have a dinner uh, with the class and you have the, that full array of all the silverware of like, which one do you pick and all that? I was like, dang, I need to go through that myself sometimes. <laughs> but they go through that. I mean, they do, they work on those soft skills with the guys. Um, and that is such a powerful thing. And so, again, not to berate this, but communications, your soft skills, how are you, how are you working on those to improve? Because trust me, they mean a lot. They mean a lot in where you're going to go next. So that, that, that's my one book I'm going to recommend. Um, it's an interesting read. It, there, there's an audio book version. If you don't do the audio book, I think it's about a 10, 12 hour audio book, but there's just some great little things in there and it, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. No, I think that that is fantastic. And, and I would say that even after you've gone through and read the book and, and practiced those soft skills, as you mentioned, Aaron, every once in a while you come out of a meeting prepared to go in and have one type of conversation. You try to have that conversation and you come out and you realize you, you completely, you know, botched it because the, the people that you were talking to were exactly the opposite of the conversation that you were planning to have. So I think that that yep. is a yep. good a good piece of advice and a good book recommendation in and of itself. Uh, so last question uh, for you, Aaron. So uh, typically I ask who should reach out to you, but I should say if you want to learn about really cool workforce development places 20 miles down the road, you should connect with Aaron. Who else should connect with you, Aaron? Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I welcome any, everyone. I, I, I definitely LinkedIn is the best place to get a hold of me. Uh, I try, I, I really try to answer it, but man, if I, if I open up my LinkedIn, I probably have, I don't know how many numbers across the top right now. 
and I try and get through those as much as I can. I try and, and, and connect with as many folks as I can. Uh, but sometimes I just don't get to it. Sometimes you just need to ping me uh, if you really want to talk to me. Uh, and I will do my best. Uh, but I am busy. But LinkedIn is always the best thing. And I try and be as responsible as, as, as possible. But be patient with me is, is all I can ask. No, no, I, absolutely. Um, I, I appreciate it, Aaron. Uh, thank you so much for kind of getting everyone pumped up about, I think, everything. I know Vlad's ready to go run through a wall at the moment. Hopefully not the wall with all the PLCs behind him, but he's ready yeah, to go that. run through it. Yeah, not, not, that, that's too expensive. That, like, go run through <laughs> another wall, Vlad. But, uh, but, but no, thank you. Uh, thank you for that, Aaron. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, as Vlad mentioned, I think we have many, many more hours of conversation, and so we will have to find a chance for you to come back on again to, uh, to talk some more about what, what you're doing uh, kind of in all facets of, of work. Um, beyond that, if you guys like this, please go ahead and, and like the video, uh, throw us a comment. You guys can now rate us not only on Apple Podcasts, but also Spotify and Audible. I, I think we're on Audible. I know we're on Spotify. Um, and at episode 45, we are kind of semi-professional and have to ask people to subscribe and do things like that, Aaron. Uh, but no, uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Opto22, for the sponsorship. And then we will see everyone live next week. And be sure to catch the other uh, podcast as they come out late Thursday mornings. I was going to make one last comment. First, Well, thank you, Aaron, so much for joining us today. But also, there have been a couple more questions. I didn't read all of them. Obviously, we ran out of time, but if you want, I did post uh, Aaron's LinkedIn profile, so connect with him and uh, send the questions directly to him. As he said, uh, once he um, goes through the messages he's gotten, he's probably going to respond. But I appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you, Aaron, once again. Thank you, Dave, and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.